Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, February 4th, 2018. The share IDs for Friday, February 2nd, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11000, that is 11,000. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11002. 11,002. This morning, A Vision for You presents Vision versus Perception, a new look at the steps. The steps serve a specific purpose. The 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to overeat compulsively and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. In other words, the 12 steps can keep us, as compulsive overeaters, abstinent and happy. The 12 steps are designed to bring about a spiritual awakening. The 12th step makes this purpose clear. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. It is the spiritual awakening that removes the compulsion and brings about our recovery. For the spiritual awakening to occur, the 12 steps are worked in the prescribed order, one step at a time, beginning with the first step. Each step flows logically from the one before it and builds upon its principles. The results of a spiritual awakening are dramatic, although they may take place over a long period of time. They include changed perceptions, attitudes, and behavior. A new world comes into view. With us this morning to share his experience, strength, and hope is Craig F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Oklahoma. Craig is dedicated to our way of life and to carrying this message of recovery. Welcome to the line, Craig S. Thank you, Leah, for that introduction. Can I be heard? Yes, we hear you well. Very good. Thank you. Um, It's good to be on here this morning uh, and feeling pretty good today. So um, this uh, talk this morning, I'm going to tell you that I learned uh, one time in a Dale Carnegie course that when you give a talk, you tell people what you're going to tell them, then you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. And uh, that's the the best approach. So um, what I'm going to do is start out by explaining the title, Vision versus Perception. Um, You know, I I have an architectural degree, uh, and um, one of the things that we, we had a presentation uh, made to us by uh, an eye doctor one time. He came in and he he said that uh, that there's he explained this difference between what we see and what we think we see. And he put a lot of pictures up that uh, you would look at the picture and then you would then he would tell you what was in the picture and all of a sudden what you saw was different. Um, I, I hope that you've all had that experience. You've seen those pictures at the, that you can get at the mall a lot of times where it looks like a whole bunch of dots, but once you see that the Statue of Liberty's in there somewhere, 
you can't unsee the Statue of Liberty or that there's a bunch of black and white splotches and once you somebody tells you it's a cow, you see the cow and then uh, you realize that it's there. You can't unsee the cow. Your perception changes and your, your perception of what you see is, is uh, guided by a lot of things. It's guided by uh, your knowledge, your experience. Uh, it's guided by your prejudices, guided by your education, um, your attitudes. Uh, and so we all, uh, we all bring a certain background to everything we do, and it changes our perception of what we see. And so we're not stuck with that limited perception, that first perception, uh, if we learn to grow, if we continue to learn and grow. Uh, our perception can become more defined and better. We're not uh, stuck, good or bad, by the perception that's guided by our back, by our prejudices and our education or lack of it in that topic. So that's what this talk is really about. It's about my changing perception of the steps, my changing perception of this program, and how it changed, why it changed, and how it can continue, does continue to change. Uh, on a daily basis and, and it's also about how not getting stale about keeping it green so that I can continue to grow I, I'm going to give you four references in the big book uh, that you might want to uh, note on page 77 it says our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us so if, if our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service it means that we're we're constantly fitting ourselves. We're constantly having to grow so that we can be of service to God and the people around us. And then on 88, it says, we alcoholics are undisciplined. So we let God discipline us in the simple way uh, we have just outlined, which that's just at the end of steps 10 and 11. So uh, that discipline to me includes this growth in our perception of the steps, our perception of, of our recovery. Um, and then on 25, it says, the great fact is this, and nothing less, that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences, which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. And uh, then finally, the lead-in on page 84, which is right after the ninth step promises, at the beginning of the tenth step, it says, our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. So growing in, in understanding and effectiveness. And that's not just understanding and effectiveness in our dealings with others, but understanding and effectiveness in our, under, in, in our use of these steps and our use of this spiritual way of life. So uh, now... Um, we're going to get down to uh, uh, getting started. Um, the uh, one of the first things I want to talk about is how important the set aside prayer is in this process. Um, I realize the set aside prayer I don't believe is anywhere in the big book, but it's been an effective tool for me and for a lot of people, not just in getting started, not just in getting sponsees started, but but when I get ready to listen to a speaker uh, or start a study or do something that I'm, where I'm wanting to learn, 
I pray that set-aside prayer. And that doesn't mean empty my mind completely to me, but it means to not allow my prejudices and my my past limitations limit me in what I'm able to understand and and what I'm able to to get from this from the experience I'm about to have. So I set it aside. I don't discard it, but I set it aside so that I can have a new experience with God, with the steps, with the spiritual way of life. And uh, uh, I, I can't uh, emphasize enough how important that is to not just pray that at the beginning of our recovery, but to continue to pray that at key times to to set aside my my prejudices, to set aside my my uh, my ego, the things I think I know, the things I think I already understand, so that I can grow in effectiveness and understanding. Um, so. Um, Back to the beginning. I'm going to qualify now uh, a little bit. Um, a little bit. I, I'm uh, uh, certain that I was born a compulsive eater. Uh, I didn't face the the consequences of this disease until I was uh, in my middle teens, till I was 16 or or so, because um, I had a, a mother who was. Uh, uh, very diligent about dealing out our food. Uh, she uh, she set the plates, and uh, this was your portion. This is what you got. Uh, she always made sure we had vegetables, and uh, you know she uh, uh, was uh, very uh, very controlling of the food. and And I snuck food, but I never could get enough to uh, to really uh, have a, a weight problem. And so I didn't really face the effects of it much. You know, at, at Thanksgiving and Christmas and other family holidays when uh, the table was full and, and grandma and grandpa were there and, and aunts and uncles. I, you know, I had an uncle that accused me of having an empty leg, a hollow leg that uh, uh, I could put a pack away the food. But again, the the because I grew so fast, I'm, I'm 6'4", and I was this tall when I was uh, 14 years old. Uh, I, I didn't really face the, I didn't really face a weight problem, uh, and I didn't see the eating as the problem that I see it as now. Um, so I, I didn't, I didn't have to face it. But uh, I was a basketball player in high school, a football player, basketball player. I was small town, so you played everything. But I loved basketball, and my junior year of high school. I reported for football at 240 pounds, and my basketball coach said, you need to drop 20 pounds before uh, before season, before basketball season, so you'll be more mobile. And he, put, and he told me to go on a diet, and that was my first experience with a diet, and I wasn't very good at it. I, I didn't realize that uh, beer and soda pop had calories in them, and I, <laughs> you know, I ate what my mother, again, I told my mother I needed to go on a diet and she was glad to put me on one and and I lost the 20 pounds pretty easily you know when you're when you're running two hours a day that's pretty easy to do and and uh, I, I I dropped the 20 pounds and kept it off um, I, the the reason I'd gotten to 240 pounds was in, uh, I had a car and I tur- turned 16 the summer before that and and I had a job and I had money and so I I wasn't limited to what mom put on the table uh, at at mealtime to eat. I, I could do whatever I wanted to do. And, 
And uh, I can look back on that now and see that that was the the disease uh, had always been laying there. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, I had a, a a free hand at fulfilling my needs. And I and I, uh, you know, I ate over I ate over frustrations. I ate over emotions. And I and I see that now. I couldn't see it then. But um, anyway, I got married young. And uh, I, I tried everything, you know, to control my weight. Uh, I, I tried everything I knew to try. Let's put it that way. I did a, a, a grapefruit and uh, yogurt diet. I did a, a grapefruit and egg diet. I did a, a pay and weigh three different times. I did a, a, I, I did a lot of cabbage soups cleanses. That was something we got from a newspaper. My wife was kind of my diet buddy uh, and my eating buddy as well. And uh, I did uh, I did the uh, uh, a 500 calorie a day diet from a doctor that we'd, we'd go and get vitamin shots and, and hormone shots that were distilled from the urine of pregnant women. And uh, um, he would uh, dispense... Uh, amphetamines, uh, speed to us to help us. And, and, uh, uh, I, you know, 500 calories a day, I lost weight pretty fast. And I went from 290 down to, uh, 240 in uh, a matter of probably four or five weeks. And uh, I was in college at the time working full time, going to school full time and, and carrying too many hours. And I, I, uh, remember the end of that diet I had stopped at a store because I was having trouble holding my hands steady to draw and I stopped at a store to get some herbal tea thinking that was you know not realizing it was the amphetamines and and uh, I uh, 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 was pay, get, getting ready to pay for the herbal tea and they had some uh, sandwich cookies on sale and I bought some thinking I'd have a couple and take them up to the studio and then let everybody else have, have some for, uh, you know, to get rid of the rest of the package. It was pretty cheap and the package didn't make it up to the studio. I, I ate them on the way. Um, and that diet was over and then the weight came back in the next couple of months, but it, it's, it, 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 I, what I really realized is that I kind of had almost like a nervous breakdown, uh, at that point, like, from from all that uh, restricted food, the the 500 calories, the amphetamines, and the pressure, and uh, I, I, it took me a while to recover from that and uh, to get moving again. Um, and so, one of my last big diet attempts was called the Drinking Man's Diet, and it involved a small steak and a shot of whiskey at three times a day. And uh, it, it seemed to work. The problem with that diet is, of course, it's not very good for you physically and uh, can uh, really cause some other physical problems. And uh, I was doing it with my brother-in-law, and uh, he passed out in the bathroom and fell against the door. And I had to break a window and put my son through the window in order to get him out, to drag him away from the door. He actually had to tie a rope on my brother-in-law, and we... We drug him from the window away from the door enough to get into the bathroom. It was a sad, it's a sad deal. My mother-in-law flipped out and said, you're not doing that diet anymore. And, uh, you know, but all these were these insane attempts to control the, uh, 
the effects uh, of this disease, mind, and uh, none of them were, uh, none of them had any long-term promise or long-term success. Uh, I didn't understand the long-term problem. I didn't understand the whys and wherefores of, where, of how I ate. At, at about 39 years of age, um, I had gone through losing a business, um, which was a kind of a horrible thing for me on its own. I'd been fairly successful as a as a home builder, home developer in Arizona, and uh, had uh, uh, made and lost a lot of money, and uh, savings and loans went broke, and I was. Um, uh, my wife decided that if she couldn't be rich uh, anymore, she wanted to be out. And uh, so uh, going through the throes of that, and uh, I went to see a counselor. And uh, because we had a minor child and in Arizona, you have to have six counseling, you had to have six counseling sessions at the time uh, before they'd grant you a divorce when you had minor children. And uh, so I went to see this counselor and he said, uh, he listened to me for an hour and I, uh, I lied to him about my drinking, uh, which is another problem, but I couldn't very well, I was sitting there at 400 plus pounds. I couldn't lie to him about my eating and uh, so uh, much. But he, thank God this guy was 20 years sober in AA. And at the end of the hour, he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go to Overeaters Anonymous. And he said, I want you to go for a year, give the program your all. And he says, in about a year, when you're, if you're ready to be honest with me, he said, you come back and see me and we'll go to work on, on, uh, on, on these things. And it kind of it, it irritated me, that he was, but he was calling me on my bullshit, and I needed to be called on my bullshit. So... I went to OA. I, I, I was living in, uh, my family was living in Arizona and I was working in Allentown, Pennsylvania and I was flying back and forth uh, every other weekend, every third weekend or so. And, and so I flew back to Allentown and I went to a meeting. And, uh, uh, you know, I, that first meeting, the, the speaker didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, I'd had one other brush with OA. My little sister, who was bulimic, had gone to OA, and uh, uh, she had written me some crazy uh, amends letter for anything she may have ever done to hurt me. And uh, I thought she'd joined the cult, and I called her to make sure they weren't asking her for a lot of money. And, and uh, you know, I just uh, had a bad uh, perception of what was going on there. And... Uh, she assured me that it was uh, all for the best and that she was learning how to not uh, binge and purge. And, and uh, so I said, okay, well, be careful. And uh, so that was my limited perception of, of OA. And, and I got there that first meeting, and, and I wasn't quite sure. That first speaker didn't seem to have much recovery. She was celebrating a, a birthday of some sorts, but uh, uh, she talked about how she wanted to have a brass band and do something spectacular, and I and I just kind of uh, passed it off. But I, I did make a note since I was going through a divorce. I sat and made a note of all the good-looking women in the room, and and uh, they passed the phone list around twice. And I wrote down a lot of phone numbers, and and 
you know, my intentions weren't uh, the best. Uh, they, and uh, so I left, and I and that next weekend I had to go back to Arizona to take a deposition from somebody and uh, help my attorney. Or attorney, I was involved in a lawsuit for this company. I was handling the lawsuit for this company. And while I was there in Arizona, my wife told me that uh, she'd made her decision that she really wanted out and this was going to be it. But she told me by when she took me to the airport, she handed me a letter as I got out of her car and she hit the gas because she didn't want to, uh, didn't want to be there when I read the letter. And, uh, I found out later she was afraid of my temper, which I'd never lost with her. But, uh, you know, sometimes we, we have the, she'd see me get angry with other people. So she sped away and I got on the airplane and read that letter. And, uh, you know, those, those traveling days had usually been drinking and eating days for me. I'd go in the airport, sit at the, uh, bar there in Phoenix, uh, have a few drinks before I got on my airplane, get on my airplane, have a drink on the way to wherever Atlanta or Chicago, wherever I was changing planes, uh, have a, a drink there in, in the airport, have a, you know, eat, eat a sandwich, have another drink and whatever they were serving on the plane back to usually to Newark. And then, uh, uh, have a couple drinks in the Newark airport waiting on the shuttle and, and something to eat. And then, uh, and by then I'd be pretty steamed and I'd get on the shuttle to, uh, shuttle bus to Allentown and, uh, crash in my room when I got back. And, uh, that day, that day I sat there and read that letter and I faced the bankruptcy of my life. The, you know, uh, my wife admitted to running up an awful lot of credit card debt and, uh, she'd been picking up my expense check and not paying the credit cards down. Um, you know, which is, uh, not to blame her. I, I think that that's a pretty easy, uh, pretty easy punishment for, the way I had been, uh, as, as a husband. And, uh, so, uh, but anyway, she, uh, uh, I, I sat there and I looked at the moral, spiritual, financial bankruptcy of my life. And I, and I, I was, uh, I, I was, and I it was weighing 410 pounds, you know, I had a lap belt extender. Um, I, I was just not, uh, I, nothing was good. Nothing was the way I wanted it to be. And so I got back to Allentown and I, uh, I went to a meeting that night to the, my second OA meeting. And this speaker talked, uh, had several years of, of, of recovery and shared the program and talked about the hole in her soul and that, and trying to fill it with diet coke and relationships and alcohol and drugs and food and, and how nothing had filled that hole because it was a God-sized hole. And I, and I heard it and I related to it and, and, and I was hooked. Uh, I was sold and I got a sponsor that night and, uh, and, and he was a pretty good sponsor to tell you the truth. He, uh, he sat down with me and we identified my bench foods that very night. And, uh, we, uh, and he said, now we're going to not eat these. And I said, you mean I never get to eat? fill in the blank again. And he laughed at me and he says, don't just, just don't eat them for the next 24 hours and we'll talk about it tomorrow. 
And I said, you're trying to trick me um, because you know that I'm never going to get to eat these things again. And uh, he laughed at me again. Um, but anyway, I, I was home. I felt like I, I felt like I'd found home. And, and the truth is, over the next year, I lost uh, 160 pounds. Uh, uh, is that right? 145 pounds. Excuse me. I went from 410 down to 265, and uh, was at you know I'm getting down there pretty close to my high school playing weight for being in my for being 40 years old. And I and uh, I was working out in the gym every day, lifting weights and feeling froggy. And I was going to going to two meetings a day. I was going to an AA meeting at noon. I was going to an OA meeting in the evening. Uh, Friday nights, I was going with a bunch of the girls from the OA meeting to an open NA meeting where they had a dance. Uh, I, you know, I, I had nothing to do except program. Really, I, I was sitting there waiting on this lawsuit to go to court, and uh, my whole existence was centered around even during the day, if I had some writing or reading to do, I take it to my office and do it while I sit there. My sponsor says, you're in, in uh, Allentown rehab. You're not in real life. You have no challenges. And, and, and that, was the, that was the truth. But, but I'm glad for that year. Uh, but here's, what, here's where the flaw falls. Uh, I looked at these steps, and, and I read them, and I think I'm pretty smart. But... Uh, what I saw and what I read were two different things. You know, we always laugh about how uh, that wasn't in the book the last time you read it. They've added it in somehow, you know, and and, uh, and 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 that's that difference between vision and perception. But here was my perception of the steps. You know, I heard I'm powerless over food. My life's unmanageable. But what I perceived they were saying was that I'm powerless over food. And my weight's unmanageable. And that they said that as life for a couple of reasons. One, because AA said life. But two, because, well, we need to be have a little hat tip to the anorexics and the bulimics so who's, who manage their weight, but their, their food's still, uh, they're still powerless over food. So, so they said we're powerless over food and our life's unmanageable. But for me, it was my weight that I was wanting to manage. And, and so in step two, it said that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. But, you know, I said, well, there's a couple things there in my head. Um, first of all, uh, there's, there's this calling it a power greater than ourselves because they're trying to trick the, trick the atheists into believing. Uh, but uh, since I believed in God, I believe that I was powerless over uh, or that I uh, came to believe that this God that I already knew, uh, I didn't have to change, uh, could restore me to a normal weight. And isn't that what I wanted? I wanted to be a normal weight and, and a normal leader. So I came to believe that God would just, was at some point, if I kept doing this, was going to hit me with the lightning bolt and restore me to uh, a normal weight and normal eating habits. And so in step three, I made a decision to turn my food and my eating over to the care of God, this God that I thought I already understood pretty well, and uh, you know, and just to wait on him to hit me with a lightning bolt. Because if he'd hit me with that lightning bolt, then doing the work would become simple. Uh, I wouldn't have to struggle 
to uh, to to do the work. I, I'm, I am an undisciplined sort, as as the passage says on uh, uh, page 88. I'm I'm undisciplined, and so I thought if God's going to discipline me, he, he'll uh, uh, he'll start out by giving me the willingness, giving me the the uh, uh, discipline to do this program. Um, it doesn't work that way, but that was what I thought. That was my perception uh, of the situation. So I came to step four, excuse me. And at step four, uh, I got this far. It said, made a searching and fearless moral inventory. Well, uh, I set about to make my immoral, my immoral inventory, and the first thing I did was in almost a, uh, a bragging manner, make a list of all the times I had... Uh, uh, cheated on my marriage uh, all the times all of the things that I had uh, done because I felt like I had great cash register honesty at least that I you know I couldn't see that and I, I knew I told some white lies exaggerated some stories but surely that's not what they're that that can't be causing my compulsive overeating that can't be something I need to worry about you know um, so I sat down and made my list and and uh, I uh, had a few other things on there that I knew that I needed to take care of. And there were some things I left off the list because I didn't want to admit to them, quite frankly. And I went to my sponsor with, my, uh, with what I thought was a pretty good uh, fourth step, getting ready to read it to him, which that's not what the fifth step says, but that's what I perceived it to say. And the sponsor said, uh, "Well, he said that was that's a good start, but we haven't gone deep enough." And and uh, in other words, I what he was trying to tell me was I hadn't gotten to my causes and conditions, I hadn't gotten to my side of the street yet, and and all I'd done is say what I'd done, and and I hadn't really addressed my resentments and my fears and my harms, and uh, I. I, I didn't understand. I, I couldn't get to down to to the simple understanding of what he was talking about. And uh, then, of all things, he relapsed. And then shortly after that, I moved. And uh, the job that I was doing finished, and I moved to Tulsa. And uh, I didn't find a... I, I found a sponsor, but not one that seemed to think that the steps were all that important. And I and I got into a coasting pattern, which I kind of liked. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't growing in wisdom and effectiveness. I was simply coasting, and uh, I uh, thought if I could just keep hell, I've lost all that weight just going to meetings for the most part. Why don't I just keep going to meetings? And uh, I kept going to meetings, and uh, and sooner or later, though, I I lost my abstinence. I had to. I couldn't pick up my two-year chip because I knew that I only was only abstinent by changing the the definition of abstinence <laughs> and uh, you know changing my food plan. Then I could claim I was still within that food plan, and that's not. Um, but even even as dishonest as I was, I, I got to a point where I couldn't I couldn't do that anymore. So. I didn't pick up the two-year chip, and I went into a pattern of I get uh, I get a few months, one time six months, 
and then I'd lose it. And I tried working the steps. I tried working the steps with an AA sponsor. Um, I'd look down the line at, at these things, you know, and I thought, I have no fear of making amends to people, but I did. You know, my ego was so large that I didn't want to have to admit that I had done things to certain things to certain people, you know, that I that I didn't want to have to look them up. Just leave sleeping dogs lie, you know. Why why do those things? Why why go confess to things that uh, are are maybe best left alone? And so I uh, uh, I I saw that, and then I looked at the tenth step, and and you know around me the people that were doing the tenth step there was a lot of confusion, and they were doing what they were really doing and calling it the tenth step was they were doing an eleventh step review in the evening. But what I didn't see from any of those people was that that they were actually making amends where they'd caused harm. They weren't keeping it up. And, and I don't mean that as a judgment, but just that it, I, I looked at that and thought it was odd, you know, that that that's that that somehow was working uh, for them where they were working that. But they were they they would have a, a list and they would. Uh, do this thing and maybe they'd talk to their sponsor about it and maybe they would try to correct it tomorrow and you know with that quote-unquote living amends uh, thing but uh, I you know and but I didn't I really truly didn't have the discipline to uh, to do something every night on my own I I just you know I I was too quote-unquote busy and so um then, and I looked at that 11th step, and all I saw was the sought through prayer and meditation. And I thought, well, I pray. Uh, meditation, that's for the Buddhists. So, uh, but I pray, and uh, I'll just continue to pray. And I'll pray and ask God to, to uh, make me thin and, and uh, to help me to uh, recover, whatever that means. And, and uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll just do that. So I'm doing an 11th step. And, 12th step, well, you know, I, I, I read that and I thought, well, all that means is I'm going to carry the message. So I'm, I'll, uh, I'll sponsor if I can and I'll, uh, you know, uh, pimp this program where I can and, uh, you know, to talk it up and to people that need it. And that's, that's my 12th step. And, and uh, you know, I, I missed that part. I didn't see that part that, that Leah talked about in the beginning having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. You know, my, my dad, uh, we, my dad had a lot of quotes that we, we put on a, on a granite bench, uh, by his and my mother's grave. Uh, and we just, we had the quotes and, and, uh, engraved in the bench. And one of them was don't put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. And, uh, <laughs> He he was pretty good about that, and uh, and and you know when I read that first part of that twelfth step, uh, I have to be careful. There, don't in the twelfth step says having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Doesn't say a result of these steps. It doesn't say having had a spiritual awakening uh, kind of related to the steps. It says the result of these steps. And you see, there's what I was missing. Uh, 
if I could have seen that, if I could have perceived that in the beginning, I might have saved myself a lot of trouble. Probably not. But uh, the the fact is that I was sitting there thinking all I had to do was mark some time and that, that the spiritual experience that I would read about, this white light spiritual experience that I was praying for, would come uh, as the result of just asking for it, as the result of sitting in meetings, as the result of, uh, of uh, just being ready to receive it. And, but that's not what it says. It's the result of the steps, of working the steps. Um, you know, there's a misquoted line in the big book, often misquoted. And that line says that oh, we get a daily reprieve based on it says the maintenance of our spiritual condition, but it's often quoted as saying we have a daily reprieve based on the, our fit spiritual condition, and it, it's, that's not what it says. There's a big difference between saying based on our fit spiritual condition and saying based on the maintenance of our fit spiritual condition because the maintenance of our fit, fit spiritual condition implies the work that we do, and the work that we do to maintain our spiritual condition involves living in 10, 11, and 12. It involves our, um, and, and, and involves our uh, making amends promptly, uh, uh, addressing and getting rid of those that build up of human emotion in step 10. It involves step 11, the, the regular prayer, regular meditation in the morning throughout the day and in the evening, the, the daily uh, inventory that uh, asking ourselves those 12 questions that uh, are a part of step 11 at night and and making amends whenever uh, we see that we've been wrong and and that that to me and then of course sponsoring and carrying the message that is the maintenance of my fit spiritual condition i have a daily reprieve based on uh, on the working of this program in steps 10 11 and 12 that's where I get the daily reprieve. So um, anyway, I uh, I miss that, you know. I, I miss that. And I, so all those years I sat there thinking, you know, while in others you're calling, do not pass me by. Uh, I, I I wanted this. I wanted this spiritual experience. I wanted this spiritual awakening, and I wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting what I wanted because I wasn't doing the work. And and so I went through years of, uh, on March the, the 5th, it'll be 28 years since I walked into the first OA meeting I walked into. 28 years. And March the 12th will be, will be the, it's still my sobriety date, and, but it's, uh, It'll be 28 years since that second meeting when I heard that woman talk about the God-sized hole, and uh, you know that's a that's a long time. And they say that there's probably nothing more miserable than a head full of uh, AA and a belly full of booze. And I say, yeah, there's something else, and that's a head full of OA and a belly full of food. And I've certainly had that off and on, in and out. You know, knowing I, knowing I knew better, knowing that I didn't have to be where I was, but unable, unable to hold on to the message, un, unable to uh, to turn that 
my life and will over to God's care in the way that was effective, that deep and effective spiritual experience. Um, so, um, you know, one of the things I want to point out when I'm talking about that is I, I, I talked on a, another phone meeting here not long ago, and when I was done, they were they went to comments, and, and a woman came on and said uh, that um, she didn't agree with what I'd said about uh, a spiritual experience, about the deep and effective spiritual experience being necessary, because she'd been meditating once and had a spiritual experience, and it hadn't kept her abstinent, that she needed the tools. And you know, I wasn't going to get into crosstalk, and I did resign from the debating society. But the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of times we've mixed up these terms and not and not separated them. We've not separated the terms spiritual awakening, uh, spiritual experience, spiritual way of life. Those are three different things. You know, I, I have. Um, epiphanies. Uh, we've all had epiphanies, you know, sudden uh, sudden uh, understanding of, of something that we've been struggling with. Uh, we've had little awakening, spiritual awakenings, you know, but um, ex- expanding our spiritual life, um, uh, finding a spiritual way of life, that, that's, that's something different. You know, I, I, to use a metaphor, uh, I don't know how you wake up, but uh, uh, I can be in bed asleep and and uh, my eyes don't fly open and I fly out of bed and jump out of bed all the time. My eyes come open and, and I am sort of awake. You know, the alarm went off, whatever. Um, then I have to set up and I'm still not completely awake. Maybe I get in the shower and the water running over me, that, that'll kind of help me wake up. Um, that, that awakening is a gradual, it, it, it's not a startling single experience most of the time. Now, it can be if, you know, something scares me or, you know, I hear a noise or or, or the dogs start barking, I can jump up. But but for the most part, my awakenings are, are slow. And, and uh, you know, once I'm awake, uh, you know, I, I have a choice. I can come out here and sit in my easy chair with my feet up, like I'm doing right now, and uh, I can get uh, I can get drowsy again and and uh, not not be fully participant in life. Or I can take my shower and put my clothes on and comb my hair and brush my teeth and uh, go greet the day. You know, I can go out, sit on my back patio, and uh, and, and scratch my dog's ears and read a meditation uh, if the weather will allow me and, uh, uh, you know, uh, say my prayers, uh, ask God to guide my thoughts and actions today and show me how to be of service to others. Uh, and I can begin that spiritual way of life. And so, you know, that that it's just necessary, I think, and, and I, I just want to point out that, that it, we can't clutter those terms up. There was a there was a book here a few years back about business, and it and the the theme of the book was let the main thing be the main thing. In other words, uh, we don't talk about 
uh, safety in a sales meeting. We don't talk about production in a safety meeting. You know, you let the main thing be the main thing. If the if the main thing is uh, that we need to learn how to produce more units per hour, then let's let's focus on that. And and the main thing that's the main thing in this program is this relationship with God. You know, the the book tells us our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be a maximum service to God and the people about us. That's the main thing. So if we're going to let the main thing be the main thing, then we have to turn ourselves over to God and our and our real purposes to let him show us how to be of service to him and others. And and I have to remind myself of that constantly, that the main thing isn't about uh, the, my vanity, you know. Now I, I'm losing weight and... Uh, you know, my that first sponsor, when I he'd ask me how I was doing, I would say, uh, I'd tell him how much weight I lost. And he would say, there's your vanity, how's your sanity? And I'd want to slap him. And I thought he was just upset that I was losing weight faster than he was. Excuse me. Talking is thirsty business. Um, anyway, I, I thought that he was just um, jealous of my weight loss. But... The truth is I was focused on the weight that I was losing. I was letting the weight loss be the main thing. Now, my my weight loss this last year and a half has been good, but it's been slower than I'd like. I'm I'm older now. I'm, I'm 66 years old. Um, you know, the weight's coming off. I I I've lost over 100 pounds and uh, since I started uh, this vision process, but um you know that's uh, that that's good. It's headed the right direction and it's going down. And and uh, you know altogether I'm I'm down over 160 pounds from my peak weight, which was 520. And uh, I'm you know I'm I'm getting better. I'm getting physically I'm I I have some recovery. But the truth of the matter is that the more important thing to me today is that I've found. Um, uh, that I've been able to find a, an emotional recovery and a spiritual recovery and a spiritual way of life that is not by any means perfect, but by every means is so much better than the life that I lived before. And uh, I take great encouragement with that and, uh, and and with the chance to grow. Real quickly, I want to cover the the last year and a half, and that is that that uh, I had been in relapse and uh, I, I had gone from, uh, I'd been doing a, the, a, a program, uh, uh, we will call it a sister program uh, with a defined food plan. Uh, and I had lost, got down from 520 down to 360 doing that defined food plan. I had relapsed, I was back up to 460. Um, and I was not, um, well, I wasn't in a good spiritual place. Uh, I'll just put it that way. Life hadn't gone my way. Things hadn't gone my way. I was struggling. Um, I got up one morning. I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't stand up. And I was so weak in my legs that I couldn't, I couldn't stand up. And to to get ready for work, 
And I sat there in that chair for uh, that I have in my bedroom my dr- that I used to get dressed in for three hours or maybe more trying to get up. And I would, you know, try to stand up and I couldn't. And uh, I had my cell phone in my hand, but I was too hard-headed to call for help. So finally, I got down on the floor, thought I'd crawl over to the bed and help myself up on the bed. This is the depth of my despair. And I got over to the bed, but I couldn't pull myself up. And so now I'm on the floor. And so I called my son and said, I need you to come over here and help me get up. I thought once I got up, I'd be okay. Um, He he called his uh, mom on the way over. And she called me and said, listen, you, if you're too weak to stand up, you're going to the hospital. And if, either you're calling 911 or I'm calling 911. And uh, I thought, well, if the ambulance is coming, I better call it. So I called the ambulance, and uh, which was kind of almost a backwards pride kind of thing. So I called and told them how big I was. And they sent six pretty good-sized firemen over and rolled me onto a tarp. And, it's humiliating. Picked me up, put me on a stretcher and a gurney, took me to the hospital. It turned out I had a septic infection in my in the lymphedema in my legs. And that means septic means, I guess, that it was in my bloodstream. And uh, the doctor says, we're going to have to keep you here three weeks and keep you on some pretty heavy IV antibiotics. And I said, listen, um, I, I have too much going on to spend three weeks in the hospital. Why don't you just put in your pick line? You already, they'd already done that. And give me the bags, and I can hang a IV bag and stick it in the pick line four times a day, and that'll let me get on with life. You know, I'm hard-headed, uh, prideful. And uh, she said, you don't understand. She said, even with this antibiotics, you got about a 30% chance of not making it out of the hospital alive in the, in three weeks. She said, this septic infection could kill you so easily. And she said, even if you do it, even if we do the antibiotics right, and even if you make it out of the hospital, you've got about a, a 40% chance of being back in here in six weeks. And that'll mean that the antibiotics didn't work and probably will have to take your legs off at the knees. And, and uh, she said, so you can uh, you can leave if you want to. I'm not giving you the antibiotics to take with you. She said, I can't make you stay here. Uh, you can go against medical advice. But she said, if I were you, I'd lay back down in that bed and take these antibiotics and let us take care of you. And you have maybe have a chance of, of surviving this. And I laid there in that bed with that head full of AA, a head full of OA, and said, you know, I, I, I've lied my way through this program. I've not been completely honest. I've not. I've been prideful. My my uh, ego has gotten in the way of being thorough and, and honest about my fourth step, fifth step, ninth step work. And uh, you know, it, and here it is. It's about to kill me. And I was desperate. Uh, I I cried out to God and I said, whatever it takes, whatever I have to do, whatever I have to admit to, whatever amends I need to make, I'm ready. Show me how to do it. And, you know, I'd listened to 
to a couple of vision for you meetings uh my my friend that's on here and i thank her very much for that had uh had told me about the pro about the the meetings and how powerful they were and uh i'd listened but i wasn't ready and uh she gave me the number again and i i listened and and she gave me my sponsor's number and he's on here i'm sure and i I thank him from the bottom of my heart that he said yes he'd take me on and uh, we began to work the steps like my hair was on fire and uh, probably not fast enough for him uh, uh, but uh, fast enough for me and uh, I, uh, I I worked the steps as diligently as I could do and as thoroughly as I knew how and as honestly as if, if I thought about it I wrote it down and uh, if I uh, if it bothered me, uh, I put it down on my list of things I needed to make amends for. And you know, all my resentments, all my fears, uh, all my harms. And we got through the steps pretty quickly. Uh, I was in the hospital three weeks, and uh, I uh, had done my fourth step by the time I got home. My sponsor gave me uh, 24 hours to write my fourth step. Uh, and, the, and I procrastinated a little bit, and the truth is I did it in about two and a half hours. And it was as thorough a uh, fourth step as, as I could have done. When I sat down and that pen started working, uh, it just started going. I, I made that, filled out that first column, and, and for me it was fairly long, and I filled them across, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it just came out of me. And I, I saw the steps. I began to see the steps in a new light, you know. I began to see myself in a new light. You know, I have a I have a great sponsor, and when I call up and talk to him about the things I've done, he says, we have a word for people like you, a name for people like you. And I say, yeah, what's that? And he said, human being. And, and I begin to understand, I begin to accept the fact that, in truth, I'm just simply a flawed human being. And it's in that imperfection that that in those flaws that I find spirituality that if it wasn't for my flaws I wouldn't need to be a spiritual being if I was in some sort of perfection I wouldn't need I wouldn't need a spiritual way of life and so it's the flaws themselves that open the door for the spiritual way of life and so I begin to show myself tolerance and grace and that doesn't mean I begin to use it as an excuse for my for my failures and certainly not my willful failures but it means that I that I've begun to accept the fact that I'm going to make mistakes I'm going to fail I'm not going to be perfect and uh, and and that doesn't mean I'm I can't live in the in the grace of God that I can't live in the in in the forgiveness and tolerance that that God has shown me now I'm I'm getting close to running out of time so I want to talk about some things that work for me uh, about how to uh, change my perception, how to grow and understanding and effectiveness. So the first thing I want to talk about is that when we when I read a paragraph or read uh, something in, in the big book, I, I also I examine what it says, but I also examine what it doesn't say. Um, you know, uh, by that I mean, uh, it, like when we look at the steps, you know, I'm powerless over food. 
my life is unmanageable. It doesn't say I'm powerless over uh, food and my weight is unmanageable. It, it, what it doesn't say sometimes is as important as what the, as what the passage says. The second thing is I look at the choice of words, the instead of a. Uh, in other words, having had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps instead of a result of these steps. So I look at the, you try to look at the choice, the particular exact choice of words, and ask why they made that choice of words. Uh, nature instead of details, the exact nature of my wrongs. Uh, in, in other words, when I, uh, admit to in step five to God, myself, and another human being, the exact nature of our, my wrongs. It doesn't say that I read my fourth step list to my sponsor. It says I admitted the nature of my wrongs, which which implies to me that I had to get down to causes and conditions. Uh, I had to understand that when I cheated on my wife, that that I I, I came to understand that uh, that the reason behind that was that I felt like if I could get that woman to sleep with me, that I must not be as um, unlovable, uh, fat, undesirable, ugly, as I felt like I was. In other words, uh, I was using them to make myself feel better about who I was. When I told those lies, those white, those um, lies of exaggeration and and. Uh, I did it because I wanted you to think more of me than I thought of myself. That was the nature of my wrong. The nature of my wrong was that I was telling those lies in in order to to bolster my low self-esteem, to bolster my my ego. So uh, I look at the choice of words, uh, and then uh, I, I look at how we. Uh, um, well, I already talked about that. How. We categorize spiritual awakening, spiritual experience, and spiritual way of life. Then another thing that's important, I think, is understanding history. You know, we, we have uh, some wonderful historians on uh, on this meeting. Uh, uh, Harlan uh, is, uh, took a little ribbing at the division convention uh, for uh, knowing the tire for air pressure and the tires of the car that uh, took somebody to a meeting and I thought it was pretty funny but the truth of the matter is that when I know the history behind some of these things it enlightens me to understand the reason behind these things when when I first read uh, Bill's background on when he went to see Dr. Bob and read that he was uh, uh, in that uh, hotel lobby and that he, you know, he heard the glasses tinkling, and he thought that maybe a drink. He'd, but when I read the history, when I hear the history, and know that he'd been six months sober, where he had been trying to uh, uh, to evangelize people into this program, and 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 pushing them to, you know, dragging bar drunks off of bar stools, to, trying to get uh, trying to get them started. But that the, for the first time, when he went to see Dr. Bob, he was doing it not because he thought he could keep Dr. Bob sober, but because he knew by going and talking to Dr. Bob, he could keep Bill sober. And when I read that, when I learned that history, it, it enlightened me as to why I sponsor. I, you know, I, 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 I sponsor not because I think I can keep my sponsorees abstinent. That's 
between them and God and, and depends on their level of surrender and acceptance. I, I do it to keep me abstinent. So history enlightens, and, and, uh, and I'm uh, glad to get all the history lessons I need. I, I, uh, anyway, then uh, the next thing I want to talk about is breaking things down. You know, one of the ways that we enlarge our perception, that we improve our perception of things, is is we break down the text when we, we when we read. I I, uh, I I've shared this before, I think, but uh, you know, I I have highlighters that I keep, and I have a color coded system that I highlight my big book with. And I use pink for musts, uh, blue for thesis statements orange for the necessity of spiritual experiences and references to spiritual way of life. I use yellow for the prayers and I use green for the promises. So when I'm flipping through my book and I'm looking for prayers, I look for yellow highlights and stop and say, okay, there's that prayer. Or if I'm looking for promises and the promises scattered all through the book, then I look for green highlights and, uh, and, and, not only in doing the highlighting do I increase my understanding of what I'm reading. I, I understand that, well, that's a promise. So I highlight it as a promise, but it helps me go back and find it later on. So uh, breaking things down. Um, a, a part of that breaking things down is I've been doing this thing with my sponsorees where, um, and I, I've been kind of off from, uh, my normal sponsoree uh, uh, procedures lately because I had emergency surgery the night, uh, the Friday night of the beginning of the birthday party. I intended to be there, but I had a, an intestinal blockage and it had been causing me a lot of pain. It finally hit ahead and they found it. And, and so I've been kind of weak uh, these last three weeks and just now getting back to where I'm ready to start calling people and tell them to get back on their regular schedule. But that's been good, too, because I think that a lot of them have learned how not to be so reliant on me, to maybe be reliant on on the program and other people as a whole. And uh, so anyway, um, we go through these things. We started with steps 10 and 11. And on a seven-day on a seven-day program, here's how we break it down. The first time I have them go through and highlight the promises. And so read steps 10 and 11, highlight the promises. Then the second day through, we go through and we highlight the actions. What actions is it telling you to take? You know, um, it's telling you prayers or actions. Um, uh, you know, the daily inventory in 11 is an action. What actions are, is it telling you to take? And then the third day through, we go through and highlight just the prayers. Now, we may have highlighted those in actions, but we highlight them again as prayers. Then the fourth day through, we go through and highlight the musts, the shoulds, and the imperatives. And uh, the fifth day through, we go through and highlight the references to spiritual experiences, awakenings, and spiritual way of life. The sixth day through, we go through and highlight the actions again and turn them into a plan of action. If the action, if it's telling us to take certain actions, then what's my plan of actions? It's one thing to say, pray through the day. It's another thing to say, this is how I intend to do that. For me, I need reminders. I set my alarm every two hours. I have a friend that sets hers every three hours. 
um, I set my alarm on my phone, and it goes off at 10, 12, 2, and 4, and uh, I stop at those times and say uh, usually a quick prayer, sometimes a longer prayer, and ask God to guide my thoughts and actions to direct me, to keep me on track today. So what's your action plan? And then the last thing we do is go back through the promises and use them as an inventory. Uh, you know, if it promises freedom from food obsession, do I have that promise? And if so, what's lacking? And uh, by doing that breakdown, uh, we we grow in effectiveness and understanding. I kid my sponsorees that uh, uh, they have to keep reading steps 10 and 11 until they have them memorized. Because if you're going to live there, you better know what it says. Um, I haven't yet had anybody that can really do that, um, recite them. But anyway, um, so we study the whole thing in pieces. And uh, then the, the next thing we talk about uh, for uh, growth is do something new. Always do something new. You know, if we you want to keep from getting stale in our understanding, then uh, what can you add in? You know, there's lots of the Joe and Charlie state tapes that are available on the Internet. There's Herb K. tapes. There's John K. tapes. There's Harlan's tapes. There's the special edition tapes. There's an awful lot of resources out there today. And, and uh, do something new. You know, you want to break out of a, a rut. But, you know, if we're not growing, we're dying. And uh, we want to continue to grow. We find uh, a new source of, of, of uh, spiritual nutrition. And then the last thing is sponsor. Uh, pages 14 and 15, the bottom of 14, the top of 15, Bill tells us how, how to uh, uh, expand our spiritual life. I didn't write this one down, so I'm going to flip to it and read it straight from the book. Um, but it says, For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. So uh, a part of that uh, work and self-sacrifice for others is sponsoring. Uh, and it, it tells us right here in plain English that uh, if we fail to do that, uh, we cannot survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. We have to give it away to keep it. Uh, it's as plain as that. So uh, I hope that my story. Uh, I hope my talk has uh, helped somebody. I know it helped me. And uh, with uh, that, I'll pass. Thank you, Leah. And thank you, Craig, for your compelling presentation and thoughtful insights this morning. Certainly helped me. Thanks for sharing such a uh, profound and clear message with all of us this morning. Share ID for this presentation, 11005, that's 11,005 for today's Sunday special edition. Craig's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. We will now transition to question and answers. If you have a question for Craig, star 1 to unmute. Please identify yourself, first name, first letter, your last name. Hi, this is June S. June S. Hold on, June. Who else? Kathy K. Kathy. Roz G. Roz G. 
Hi, this is Donisa R. Donisa R. Anyone else? All right, let's start with June S. Good morning, Craig, and everyone on the line. Thank you for your clear, compassionate, very moving, and honest sharing of your struggle in doing the the hard work of the 12 steps and and also and sometimes harder work of continuing in the lifetime commitment of the 10 and 11 and 12 steps. Um, My question is, what did you mean, Craig, when you mentioned 12 uh, questions to ask yourself during the 11th step evening review? Sure. Um, Well, if you read the uh, 11th step uh, on uh, was it, page 88, um, the, I'll skip from the text and just go to my consolidation of those uh, questions. I made myself out a form that I fill out every night that asks, oh, nice. was, I resent- was I resentful? Was I selfish? Was I dishonest? Was I afraid? Do I owe an apology? Do I need to share something that I haven't shared? In other words, am I keeping a secret? Was I kind and loving towards all? What could I have done better? Was I thinking of myself most of the time? Was I thinking of what I could do for others and pack into the stream of life? And did I drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection? Then it tells us to ask for forgiveness. And then I make a gratitude list after that. Thank you, Craig. That's very um, helpful because it's just clear, concise, and I won't get lost in all of those individual words. Uh, so okay. thank you, Craig, okay. and I appreciate it. And I'll pass. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks, June. Kathy Kay. You're thank here. you, Leah. Uh, and thank you, Craig. It was really, really great to hear you this morning. Um, I've been recovered for uh, about five years, and I do have periods where um, I wonder if I'm I'm, I'm still recovered, given the emotional ups and downs I experience. And I wonder if you have found it necessary to go back and do all the steps all over again, or do you view 10, 11, and 12 as, if you carry them out the way you do, you laid it out here, that that's sufficient for you. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know that there's a set answer for that. As a matter of fact, my understanding is that uh, Akron in New York had this same discussion back in the 30s that uh, I think it, Akron said you work this 12 steps and then you go back and start over. And New York said you work the 12 steps and then you live. and 10, 11, and 12. Uh, I, I tend to be of that uh, nature. I think my sponsor would be of that nature that you work the steps and you stay in 10, 11, and 12. And that if you're doing 10, 11, and 12 diligently and effectively, that uh, that ought to be enough. But, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, you have to do what works and uh, what works for you and what keeps it fresh and what keeps it green. And if uh, if you need if you think you need to go back and work the steps, I, there's no I can't see any harm in that. 
Um, you know, if you think if if working ten, eleven, and twelve, and, and diligently every day it, it keeps you abstinent and keeps you in fit spiritual condition, then uh, I'm I'm all for that too. I thank hope you. that doesn't sound too political, but that's... <laughs> no, thank you very. <laughs> Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Kathy. Roz G. Good morning, Craig. Thank you so much for your talk. Uh, it really uh, riveted me. So thank you. Um, I'd like to ask you about your higher power. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit on your definition of a higher power? Oh, sure. Um, you know, I, I, I came in with definite religious ideas. Um, I, I have been, uh, I had actually of all the things I tried, before I got the program to control my eating and drinking, uh, I, church had been one of the more successful things for a period of time and, until it didn't work anymore. And, and uh, I, I thought I had that pretty well figured out. You know, uh, I could teach you a Bible study, but uh, um, you know, it, it couldn't. It didn't keep me sober, and it didn't keep me abstinent. But uh, you know, it, it kept me arrogant, if anything. But I, I was sitting in a, I was sitting in a second step meeting one night, and uh, uh, we were, they were, we were talking, and I don't remember exactly what cued this, but I realized as I sat there that the God that I said I believed in and the God that I acted like I believed in were two different things. In, in other words, my conception of grace was my the way I acted anyway that my conception of grace was that uh, that I should live my life God had made the rules I should live my life as uh, close to those rules as I possibly could struggle to be as good a boy as I could be and that at the end of my life that God would judge me he would forgive me and he would let me into heaven and that was my concept of grace but that what I realized in doing that in that second step meeting was that grace was so much bigger than that, that God's grace included God helping me to quote unquote, follow the rules. In other words, to not overeat that if I would turn my life and will over to God's care, that, that, that God, that power greater than myself was more powerful than the attraction to, to eat compulsively. And that that was grace too, and that I had been missing it. You know, I, it, it, it's difficult sometimes. I was raised to be John Wayne. You know, I, I was raised by a man who had his teeth drilled on without even a local, and said, "You don't have to feel the pain if you don't want to." You know, I I, uh, I believed that uh, you know that it was up to me to be that kind of a, a Superman, that strong man, that uh, could fight, and when I failed, then I felt that much worse about myself. But so my conception of God that I that I had to change involved uh, understanding that God's power was available to me on a daily basis. That God's power was what would keep me sober, keep me abstinent. That God's power is what would keep, would keep me could keep me focused on the things that were good in life, the helping others and. Uh, that uh, instead of focused on myself and my own self needs, 
and that if if I would surrender to God, that I would and surrender to that power, that uh, I'd have that grace available to me. And I think that grace is available to everybody, regardless of your religious persuasion, regardless of of uh, your um, theology. It's simply God's grace that God wants us to be uh, to be seeking that communion with him to seek that that relationship with him and he seeks the relationship with every one of us i hope that answered the question thank you roz for your question donisa r star one to unmute Good morning. Can I be heard? Yes. Okay. Thank you. So, uh, thank you for your question. I got so much out of it. Um, my question for you this morning is: I'm struggling in relapse. I've been struggling in relapse since 2005. I'll get a little time and then I'll eat again. What What did it take for you? Because I've had uh, medical scans also. But what did it take for you to finally get to that point where you didn't look back? You know, the step one says we're powerless over food. We're powerless. Now, if I'm powerless over um, something, why would I struggle with it? Um, you know, if I, I, I would never get in the boxing ring with Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali in their prime because they would beat the living shit out of me, you know, and, and I'm, I'm powerless over them in, in a, in a boxing ring. So it, you say I'm struggling. I'm, you're struggling with something you're powerless over. So if you're powerless over it and you can't struggle with it and get anywhere, what is left? And, and what is left is surrender. And, and what starts surrender is acceptance. So you accept that you're powerless and then you surrender, and then you take the actions that surrender implies, and the action that surrenders and surrender implies it means working these steps uh, with everything you have available, every resource at your command, and to dedicate yourself as completely to the steps as you could dedicate yourself to anything. You know, one of my favorite stories I heard at a, at a speaker convention was a guy said that that he walked into a meeting late and uh, uh, he sat down in the back and he asked an old timer what the topic was tonight. And the old timer says the topic is uh, surrender and acceptance. And he listened for a while and he leaned back up to the newcomer and to the old timer, I mean, and said, uh, the topic's not surrender and acceptance. They're not talking about surrender and acceptance. And the old timer says the topic is always surrender and acceptance. They just haven't gotten around to it yet, you know. And so what it took for me was being beat into a sense of reasonableness where I had to, where I said everything that I knew to do had not worked. I couldn't come up with any fresh ideas, and I knew I was going to die if I didn't do something else. And and when I got to that point, then then I could get to the point of surrender and acceptance and quit fighting this with my own. You know, when I when I was 18, when I was 16 and I went on that diet, 
I still had the power to diet for a while until there was an emotional upset anyway. And all those diets I did, they worked for a while. You know, struggling worked for a while. The living it, you know, using the fellowship and the, and the tools worked for a while. But they always, it always ended. And, and, and But the periods of time that stuff worked became shorter and shorter and shorter. And it got down to where surrender and acceptance was my only option. And that's what worked for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Thank you, Donisa. Who else has a question for Craig this morning? Star one to unmute. To identify yourself. This is Wendy Brady. Was that Wendy? Yes, Wendy B. Wendy B. And who? Lauren T. Lauren T. Who else? State that again, please. Holly S. Holly S. Sue S. The last voice I heard, uh, was that a gentleman? Jason S. Jason. Good morning, Jason. Anyone else? This may be the final invitation for questions this morning. Hi, did you get Sue F.? I did, Sue. Thanks. Thank you. Denise S. Denise R. Denise R. All right. Excellent. Let's start with Wendy B. and then Lori T. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So my question is when in your process of breaking things down with your sponsees and you had like a seven-day process and I missed what you said on day four. And I was also wondering... um, if you do this for every chapter, like you said, you do it for a ten and uh, steps ten and eleven. But do you do the same process for every chapter? And thank you. Oh. Well, thank you for the question. Um, I think four was must, shoulds, and imperatives. We go through and, and highlight the things that the book says we must do, we should do, or it's imperative that we do. Uh, and so far, we haven't done other than steps 10 and 11. Um, we've been doing some other things. We went through uh, step nine promises. We've, I've been going through the, the doctor's opinion and looking for there's, I heard somebody online one day say that there were five things listed in the doctor's opinion that won't get you or keep you sober. And uh, I was curious. So I went, looked through and looked for those five things and, I found nine things, and I, and I had my sponsorees do it, and we we found what I would say are nine things that won't get you or keep you sober. That see, that's part of breaking things down. You're looking for specific information, and then we've been doing the steps one phrase at a time, um, and so uh, there's various things we do, and I I I may go through, you know. The, we haven't run out of that stuff yet, but uh, going through the rest of the chapters with that uh, with with that seven step process is may happen soon too. Uh, I just haven't done it yet. 
that answer? Yes, thank you. Thanks, Thanks Wendy. Wendy. Lori T. Star one to unmute. Hello, good morning, everybody. So nice to be here. Uh, Craig, thank you so much for um, sharing all that information. It was really helpful. But the thing that I think um, I'm most interested in at this moment was when you mentioned about the wording of the fifth step and the admission to God and yourself and another person, the exact nature of your wrongs. I don't think I've done that thoroughly, and I'm looking forward to doing it. So I'd love it if you could give me a couple of suggestions. Um, I, I don't think I've done that. Can you share with me more about your experience and how you translate that experience to your sponsorees? Sure. Um, I can do that. Thanks for the question. Um, sometime back, we, here in Tulsa, we had, the AA has a meeting on Friday nights they call the big meeting. And if what it is is all the AA groups in town kind of support it and they come together in one place, they get a big hall, and they bring in a like a convention-level speaker once a month. And I went to this meeting, and the speaker they brought in was had he was this was back in the 90s and he'd sobered up with dr bob and the good old boys in akron ohio back in the late 30s i mean this guy was old he was blind two young guys had to stand one on either side of him and kind of hold him up to the podium by the armpits and but how powerful this guy was was amazing but he talked about how he drank on a thursday and he came to a meeting on a friday night and he sat and he listened, and when the when they were through with the speaker and the meeting, two two men grabbed him and took him to the back of the room and set him at a table. And uh, they uh, said, well, you're here, so you think you probably know you're powerless over alcohol and your life's a mess. And the guy said, yes, I do. And he said, do you, do you believe in God? Do you think he can restore you to sanity? And the guy said, sure, I, I believe that. So they prayed the third step prayer with him. And then they, they took out a napkin and a pen. Hold on just a sec. We'll dry through it this morning. They took out a napkin and a pen, and uh, they said, okay, what have you done? And the guy said, well, I I uh, stole this, and I stole that, and I stole this. And the guy, they wrote thief on the napkin. And he said, well, I told this lie and that lie and this lie, and they wrote liar on the napkin. And he said it went like that for a little bit. And then when they were done, they said, now, why did you steal those things? And and he said, I had to sit there and, and ask myself, he said, did I steal those things out of complete need or did I steal those things um, out of jealousy or wh- what was the nature? What was the nature? What was the motivation behind that? And and when he said that, I, I, I realized, that's when I realized that the motivation behind so much of what I did was to shore up my low self-esteem. That was the nature of my wrong. The nature of my wrong was I used women, I used other people to make myself feel better about myself. You know, that it, 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 I could act nice and, and act caring and compassionate, but the truth was I was using people to make myself feel better about me. That was the nature of my wrong. And, and when I understood that, uh, and then and then I could, understood the resentments that I had where uh, I resented, oh, the way a woman had treated me, you see. And so I blamed that on my own lack of 
uh, you know, if I was more lovable, she would have treated me better, so then I acted out this way. When I began to understand that, I began to understand not just my resentment, but my side of the resentment, my side, what I had done. And what I had done was use people to make myself feel better about myself. That was the nature of my wrong. And, and that's the important, to me, that's the important part, that, that quantum leap between four and five is getting down to those causes and conditions and uh, cleaning up my side of the street. That makes sense? It does, but if I can just follow up, I was interested in the admission to God and yourself. So I only really kind of admitted to my sponsor. Was that a separate process? And I, I still appreciate your insight on the exact nature. That was super helpful. But was there a separate admission to God in privacy and admission to yourself? How did that happen? Is saying it adequate? Is just saying it, is that adequate? And forgive me for taking more time. I, I apologize. Oh. Oh, no, that's not a problem at all. And yes, uh, I, I believe that uh, you, we ought to take time to go before God as we understand him and say and say what we've uh, done, to admit to God. You know, it's pretty easy to say, well, God already knows. But it's another thing to be, to kind of humble myself enough to kind of humble myself. It's another thing to humble myself enough to say that directly, to admit to God that uh, here I am, uh, I'm, I'm a flawed human being, and here's what I've done. And uh, I think it's impo- an important part of the step, yes, to admit to God and to admit it to myself. To, to If I don't admit it to myself, it's hard for me to admit it to God and to another human being. I can't thank you enough, and I'll pass. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Holly S., star one to unmute. Holly S. Good morning. There you are. I'm sorry. A little technical difficulty. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Craig. What a a great help this has been uh, for your service this morning and sharing. you know, would would you mind taking just a moment? Could you tell me those colors again? Um, I'm, I I'm about to go into step eleven with my sponsor, and uh, and and this just seems like such an awesome way for uh, for someone new in program to to really solidify some things. I appreciate it, and and with that, I'll just pass. Thank you, Craig. Okay, Holly. Thank you, and of course. There's certainly nothing sacred about the color system that I use, but here it is. Um, I highlight the musts in pink, and that's the musts, the shoulds, and the imperatives. It says it's, I must do something or should do something. I highlight that, and, and these just happen to be the colors that I had. And then I highlight the thesis statements in blue, you know, those overarching thesis statements. And... Uh, I highlight the necessity of a spiritual experience and, uh, uh, you know, any references to spiritual experience that, you know, when it says perhaps he failed to enlarge his spiritual life, that would go, all that is in orange. All the references to spiritual experience, spiritual ways of life. And then I highlight the prayers in yellow. Anytime it references praying or gives us a specific prayer, I highlight that in yellow. 
And then I use green for the promises, which seem fitting to me. You know, green's the growth color. But uh, I, I put the promises in green. And, you know, I've he heard people uh, with different color schemes that have enlarged on this or that they use a different scheme and highlight different things. And I, and I think that's great, whatever works for you. But that's the one I use. Thanks, Holly, for the question. Sue S., your turn. Star one to unmute. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Craig, for your service. Craig, um, is there a difference between your abstinence now from when you first started working or program? Oh, um, a difference between my food plan and now? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, my first year uh, in program, I was living in a, in a pretty nice hotel room in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and I was eating in a restaurant three times a day. And don't let anybody tell you you can't eat in a restaurant and be abstinent because I, I did. But I was eating in the same restaurant for breakfast, the same. Uh, well, for lunch, the secretaries came around, took your order and ordered that, and you, we brought it to you, and we all ate together. And then uh, supper, I ate the same thing every day for a year. And so, yeah, there's a big difference today, and there's, there's a lot more variety. Uh, I, you know, I have to admit, I uh, a lot of what I eat now I adopted from uh, my time in See How. Uh, you know, there's uh, uh, nothing wrong with our food plan, uh, not much wrong with it anyway, and uh, you know, it, it's close. But you know, uh, I, I think it's important that you know part of part of the differences I've made today is that when I was in the hospital. I worked with a nutritionist, and uh, you know the nutritionist helped me adjust a few things, and and that was a that was a big deal uh, for me. And uh, you know there's some good nutritionists available that will uh, uh, help you uh, uh, to fine tune the plan that you need for your body type and and your condition. Um, so. Yeah, it, it, that that's evolved. The food plan has evolved. Uh, abstinence, uh, you know, no sugar, no white flour. Those are the things I abstain from. I don't eat nuts. I, I uh, you know, there's some other things that are uh, trigger foods for me that are out of my food plan. That's part of my abstinence. Um, and uh, so I, I hope that I didn't dance around that. I hope that I answered your question. That was perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Sue. Jason S. Star one to mute. Morning, Craig. Morning. Um, really uh, could identify with a lot with, of what you had to say today. Uh, just want to thank you for that. Um, question I had for you was. Um, you're talking about doing 10, 11, and 12. And uh, can you just talk about any fears that you had uh, around, uh, you know, carrying the message to other compulsive overeaters that you had, like when you first started uh, adopting those kind of things into your program? 
Well, of course, there's always the fear that you're going to screw somebody up, you know. You're going to say the wrong thing and hurt them. Um, you know, uh, I, I firmly believe that if somebody is, is ready, that you can't say the wrong thing. And if somebody's not ready, you can't say the right thing. And I've seen that happen too many times. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to do something wrong with a sponsee sooner or later. It's, it's inevitable. I'm, I'm a flawed human being. I'm going to make mistakes, um, you know. But uh, that fear that I'm going to um, say the wrong thing is probably or do the wrong thing is overshadowed by the fear that if I don't do something, if I don't uh, live in that um, step 12 work, that uh, I'm going to lose my own abstinence anyway, and then I'm going to uh, hurt some other people. So. Uh, you know, that's kind of the dueling, uh, I suppose, dueling fears. Another thing, you know, there's there's a fear of speaking like this. I told my, I remember telling that first sponsor that when the first time I was asked to speak, I asked him if he thought it was all right, if it was, he thought I was ready to speak. And he said, yes. And I told him I was really nervous about it. And he said, I hope someday you have the humility to not be so worried about what other people think about you. And, you know, I, I, I don't know how many times he, he, he was close to getting uh, popped in the nose, but that was one of them, you know, because uh, it, it, it irritated me. But the, because he hit too close to home, the fact is that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I do, you know, I, I did spend an awful lot of time worrying about what other people thought about me. And, uh, and it's awful nice to have people tell you that you helped them or that you've done good and, and all that. But the truth is that uh, if they're ready to hear uh, uh, the message, they're going to hear the message. And if they're not ready to hear it, they're not going to hear it. And all I have to do is simply tell people what worked for me. And uh, that's it. That's, that's my job. That's my, that's, that is my assignment in life that that help sure does Craig thanks a lot great speaking to you again you too thanks Jason thank you Jason and our final question for this morning comes from Denise R star one to unmute Denise hello thank you um, Craig and Leah thank you for your service um, it was an amazing qualification Craig I really really resonated with a lot of it <clears throat> and um, my question is if you um, had any physical abstinence before you started working the program and do you believe that that's a requirement well I think that we uh, when I start working with a new sponsee I ask him to be out of the food for 48 hours if that's what you mean mm -hmm. to be you know we identify their trigger foods and their allergic foods and and abstain for 48 hours. And I usually give them some simple things to, to read or do for that first 48 hours to keep them, uh, keep them connected. And, uh, you know, so that's all I ask of people um, to get them started on the steps. Is that, is that what you're asking about? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Um, thank you. I was, um, 
personally, I'm at a place where I can't do that. I just have been, I'm in a really bad place. So wanted to know if that yeah. precludes working the steps. Well, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'll pray for you. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I really want to say that, uh, uh, there is a there is a way that there is a solution you know that the title of the of the chapter that we're studying in the mornings is there is a solution and uh there's a there's a solution for you i i don't know i don't know you well enough to know what it is but i i believe there's a solution that'll help you get that first 48 hours that'll help you get down into the steps and uh uh, and, and get working, and and you might think about spending a lot of time on your knees, asking God to show you that path to okay. to help you hold your hand through that through that difficult period to get started. Thank you. And I'll pray with you. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Denise. And Craig, thank you for your service this morning. Thanks for giving so much of yourself to all of us today. We're going to close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past freely of what you find and join us we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny may god bless you and keep you until then